In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the 2005 Living Church of God shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today, we're going to be discussing the 2005 Living Church of God killings. If you'd like to read that entire article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This is Exodus 6, verse 9, and it reads like this. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So we are going to be discussing this this killing where many people were killed. Um, But before I do that, I do want to remind you of our special download. It is the safety um, team training record. Make sure you get a copy of that. And it's really a good guide and a good way to record the training of all your team. So... Let's get into this shooting. So on Saturday, March 12, 2005, in Brookfield, Wisconsin, a man who had left the Sabbath service two weeks earlier returned. Coming in after the service had started, he pulled out a 9mm handgun and began firing. First at, um, first at the pastor and his family who were sitting in the back row and then at others. After shooting several others, reloading once, he turned the gun on himself. When police arrived, they found 12 wounded persons, eight of them dead or dying. Um, On February 26, so this is before, several months before 2005, the shooter, a lifelong member of the Worldwide Church of God and its offshoot, the Living Church of God, the church here, got up and left the Sabbath service in the middle of a um, recorded sermon. According to one congregate, he had left in a huff as the evangelist on the video that they were watching asserted that people's problems were their own making. Some speculated that um, this topic is what offended him. However, some witnesses say that he disagreed with the pastor who was relatively new to the congregation and and not the recorded preacher. Um, The order of shooting does appear to indicate that the pastor was targeted during the shooting. A friend begged him to stop, um, but he said he was upset. So the shooter left no record at all, no, no note, nothing, to indicate why he decided to do this, why he shot the pastor, the family, and all kinds of other people. Um, however, he did have bouts of depression, and apparently during the autopsy, they discovered that he had, um, and I'm going to try to pronounce this, it's a medical term, it's um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis Um, I'm guessing is what that was, which can cause fatigue and a panic disorder. So one of the things that I kind of take out of this, the lessons learned from this whole situation is basically there was nothing to predict here. It's, you know, other than somebody get, you know, this person getting up in a huff and leaving on a, you know, two months earlier, I don't know that in in and of itself is really a, a clear indicator that was something was up. Right. I mean, people sometimes, you know, suddenly get a call from their babysitter or, you know, I don't know, you know, people get up and they leave. And unless you're really paying attention, even if you notice they were mad, would you really do anything? Um, My my guess is probably not. Right. Because that kind of thing can happen. It's no big deal. 
Um, there was also nothing else that was going on that people knew about. You know, there wasn't like a loss of job. There wasn't like homelessness. There wasn't all these other little indicators, these little clues that something could be going on with him. And so it really was kind of just like a sudden event. You know, sometimes we think about in terms of like a terrorist, right? The terrorist is just going to show up one day and start shooting. Um, well, this guy was a regular attendee, but there was no indication. It just started happening. And it happened very quickly, right? He takes out his gun. He's shooting at the pastor and the family and then shooting at other people. He reloads, puts the gun in it to his head, and he commits suicide. So we're talking very rapid situation. And there's almost little to no time for us to respond. And that's kind of what I want to focus on in Lessons Learned just how ready we have to be as the safety team to respond to this kind of event that's happening in probably a minute. Uh, we didn't find anything to say how long it lasted, but it didn't last long. It's the, any one of you guys that shoot, how long does it take you to empty a magazine into a crowd? Probably not long at all, right? I mean, even if it's a large capacity magazine, I mean, still, <clears throat> you're, you know, it doesn't take long. And then a quick reload, and then killing himself all happens very fast. So I want to focus on three things for dealing with a rapid situation. The first one is mental preparation. We cannot hesitate at a time like this. And while we might tell ourselves that we would not hesitate, it really actually does take some training to prepare yourself mentally for this. Now, there's some good books out there that you could read. You know, Dave Grossman's got some great books that talks about the, about the psychological implications of a deadly force encounter and ways to prepare and ways to deal with that. Very good read. I highly recommend it. But there's something else that I've suggested too in the past, and that's simply this. It's mental rehearsal. You know, in one pa past episode, we talk about how do you keep yourself from getting into a routine in your patrols or getting bored and becoming distracted? And how do you survive that time, you know, week after week, hour after hour? And one of the ways you can do that is through mental preparation, where you're playing what-if games in your mind. And so it's kind of one of those deals like you're walking through the lobby and you say, if a bad guy came through that door right now, where would I take cover or would I just engage them immediately or, you know, what would, what would my response be? And then you take a few more steps and you say, but what if it happened now when I'm here? How does that change things? How I might respond or what if they come through a different door or another way? Or maybe I hear the gunfire, you know, out in the parking lot or I hear it in the children's area. You know, how do I respond? And you're playing these one if, what if games. And what they serve as, as a mental preparation. They serve as mental rehearsal for the incident. And so, like I said, as you're walking through, you're just do, doing these all the time. If you're sitting in the sanctuary, what if something happened right now? Where am I in position to this? Or how might I respond? Or who am I with? You know, do I push my kid underneath the, the pew? And then I'm going to do this and do that. And you're mentally pre preparing. I think about when I was in law enforcement, and this might not do any of you guys any good, but it gives a good example of how just how many of these types of things that you could run through your head. So I would think in a traffic stop, you know, if I 
pull somebody over and they jump out of the car and start shooting at me. What am I going to do? Am I going to hit the accelerator and try to run them over? Am I going to throw it in reverse and I'm going to back away? Am I going to shoot through the windshield at them? You know, am I going to open up my door and get behind the door? You know, what am I going to do if they start shooting before I even really get out of the car? Then if I'm getting out of the car, what if I'm halfway out of the car? You know, am I taking a position behind the door? You know, all those kind of options. If I'm approaching and they start shooting at me, you know, do I back up to my car or am I going to split between the two, you know, cut between the two vehicles, approach on the passenger side and engage them through the passenger window? Or am I going to back up and take cover behind my vehicle and figure things out before I return fire? Or I'm at the door and they pull the gun. What am I going to do? And so you can see every step of the way as you're walking through the church, as you're sitting in the church, do these mental rehearsals. Think about what would I do now if this happened? And really it goes beyond that. I mean, this is all about active shooter and certainly it's something we have to think about. But that can go for all kinds of emergencies, right? So what happens if there's a fire right now? What happens if there's a medical right now? What happens if there's a, you know, a verbal disagreement, you know, disruption going on? What if there's a protester? And you run these rehearsals and they go a long way in preparing you for something that happens this quickly. You've kind of already run some sort of similar scenario through your head. And so there's no hesitation. You, you know, it's the OODA loop, right? You observe, you decide what you're going to do, and you act. And that's what this, you need to be able to do really fast. And the way you do that quickly is by mental rehearsal. The next thing is, is positioning. Now, I'm going to use a very low-tech way of explaining some of the tactics or considerations that you might have um, or use at your church to kind of strategically place yourself. But I'm, before I do this, I have two disclaimers. Number one is this. These are just suggestions to, to give you something to think about. I know a lot of you have some pretty good tactical experience. By all means, you know your church, you know your team much better than me. So these are just going to be some basic ideas um, you know, you can complain if you want in the comment section, but I'm going to ignore them because I already told you um, these are basics just to communicate some ideas to you. Um, the other thing is this, is we are going to do super low tech here. So we're not going to have special low graphics. We're going to go super, super low tech. And this is how low tech I'm talking about here. Okay, so I want to talk about positioning for a potential active shooter. Now, depending on your church's layout, depending on the size of your team, all these can change. And But I want to communicate some basic ideas. So the first idea I want to explain to you is now this is your, this is a church where maybe you just have your straight pews, you know, and maybe you have, you know, a hall or a, space, a walking space here, a walking space here, a walking space here. You know, maybe there's, you know, some room, walking space back here. Maybe your doors are back in here. You know, this is your front, your stage, your podium, however it is. One of the things I like to do with my incognito safety team members, I have two of them. I want them on one side, on the front row, and on the back row. The reason I do that is this. For our church, there's doors in the back. And so if somebody comes in shooting, the number two safety team guy can simply drop into this space and engage the shooter from the side. And what's nice about this is that 
The backdrop is also clean. Now there is one guy that sits on a camera, he's on a podium, stuff like that, but other than him, this is a pretty clean, straightforward shot. Now, the same kind of thing can happen towards the front. If a threat, a deadly force threat presents themselves along the front, number one can take a step forward and then do the same thing. You know, shoot across the front row, in front of the front row, and engage anybody in this area. Now, in the case of the back here, somebody comes in the back, two engages, and one can move over into a flanking type position. So now we're engaging them from two ways. Now I know this is not perfect, you know, because what if the guy's standing here? You know, obviously one, team member one, is not gonna be shooting through the crowd at them. But it still gives them, you know, it's still a general concept idea is that you have a bad guy, you want one person to engage, the second person flanks. And so that's the basic idea. Now, once again, you might have something else. Now, a, a difference to this is some of our church's seating is set up more in a horseshoe pattern like this. Now, the reason you wouldn't want to stick with your one and your two here is because of the curvature of the seating. You know, it, it, obviously, if one was sitting here and a bad guy presents himself, he would likely be shooting into these people on this side. And so the idea now is they're in the middle because if a bad guy presents himself on this side, it's a straight line shot you know, in front of that front row. If they present on this side, it's a, a shoot, you know, shooting you know, across the front row. Same thing with kind of two, but a little bit in reverse. Two, if the shooting starts back here, two can step back and shoot across this way or step back and shoot across this way to get that coverage. And then if it turns out to be on the flank, you know, one of these guys has to run across and shoot. Now, mostly that's gonna be two, just because one has to kind of go out and then shoot back. But if two just shut, you know, just runs across and then can shoot down that way, shoot down this way. And then the other guys is for flanking. Once again, I get it, low tech. And number two, the, the tactics aren't perfect. Um, ultimately, it comes down to your church. It's layout and what works for you guys. One of the things that has to be considered in tactics is really the, the, the skill of your shooters. You know, if you've been to the range one time, that's not a reliable, that's not a reliable shooter. Somebody who has very good shot can make some of these harder decisions with chaos going on to neutralize that person. So two things so far, mental preparation, play what if games uh, constantly. It's good for you, very good for you. Two, think about positioning. Because in this case of this shooting here, the guy came in, started shooting, and it's all happening very fast. And so if there would have been that number two guy off to the side, uh, at the back of the church, by the doors, they would have been able to engage him and possibly neutralized him before the body count um, got too high. So that's something to consider. So positioning, where are your guys? Where are they? You know, if they're patrolling the ground, great, we should be patrolling the ground. But maybe we should have one guy, maybe two guys. You can see I, I kind of go off with two guys in the sanctuary just because that's the, my, the composition, the number of my team kind of fits that better 
than, um, you know, expecting I'm going to have a dozen guys there. But, um, you know, think about that positioning. The next thing is the skill, which we already kind of talked about. But the skill I want to talk about is how fast you can clear leather and engage a target. So I think about things like this, you know, clothing, you know, a lot of us carry concealed, which is great, which is actually what I prefer because I think for us in my state and and the church I go to, the (laughs) the visual presence of a gun would be too distracting for some of our congregation. And, and plus I want, I like concealed just because I want my gun to be a surprise to the bad guy. I don't want him to come in and just target me right off the bat because he knows I have a gun. I want him to be surprised when I start shooting at him. Um, so if you're carrying concealed, what, how are you carrying it concealed? Where are you carrying it concealed? What kind of clothing do you have hanging over your over your weapon? You know, do you have, if, if it's tucked in, like I have a super tuck, um, uh, it's crossbreed inside the waistband holster, and they call it the super tuck. And it's actually designed so you could tuck your shirt in over your weapon. I don't like that. I don't do that. But um, you get what I'm saying is you want that clothes. you got to be able to remove the clothing, covering that weapon very quickly. And you have to be able to draw very quickly. And this comes from what are you wearing? And then practice, 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 drawing that weapon over and over again. And going back, you know, resetting and going back. And it's just practice and practice and practice. One of the things that I really like is the FBI agent qualification. It's 60 rounds, several different distances. But all of those are drawing from a concealed location. And this is a good thing for our team to use. It's a good thing for our team to practice because that's if that's where we're, the way we're carrying it, that's the way we need to carry it. You know, I think when we first started going out to the range on a regular basis, a lot of guys were coming with their holsters outside of their shirts, you know, outside their jackets, you know, on their belt. You know, you know the holsters we all like to wear at the range. And it's like, if you don't carry like that at church, you shouldn't carry like that at the range because it, you're practicing the wrong skills. So get that, you know, if you want, send me an email, I'll send you the FBI standard. It's pretty good. You can alter it, make it fix, fit what you need, but it's something to look at. The other thing is, is training and point shooting. So a lot, what I think about when I first learned how to shoot uh, a handgun through the Army, you know, there was a lot about, you know, sight picture, and and you get trained into doing that you know you bring that weapon up you get that good sight picture and you engage the target and and maybe that's good it, you know it's a skill that maybe we all should have you know we should know what a proper sight picture is and for our further attempts to shoot somebody we you know it's going to help us to use the sights and get a good sight picture and squeeze off that round however in shorter distances Really drawing and having a good natural aim is, is, is just as important, maybe even more important, because if you're that close to a deadly force threat, um, you don't really have time. So that quick draw, pointing that weapon at the enemy and shooting them and getting rounds on target, which is extremely important in a populated congregation, um, has to be something that we train, and we train on a regular basis. So if you have new shooters, 
I would say, yeah, go ahead and start in the old, you know, the fundamental way, right? Teaching them all that stuff, getting those skills in place. But as those skills get stronger and more established, then we need to look into what might be considered maybe a teeny bit more advanced. I would call it advanced, but, you know, plus, basics plus, is to start practicing that point shooting and make sure that we get that skill developed in our team members. So three things, mental preparation, what if games, positioning of your team in and around the church so that you have the fastest response possible for this type of shooting. And then three, making sure we're developing our skills for quick draw and engagement. Another lessons learned, and this one doesn't apply here um, necessarily as good as the, the things I just discussed. But I want to kind of just remind you again about Having some sort of program that intentionally ministers to people hurting in your congregation cannot be ignored. You know, if they would have had this kind of program, not saying that they didn't have this kind of program, would he have felt that maybe he could go talk to the pastor or maybe he could talk to somebody about his struggles and what he was going through, that he was having depression, that he needs somebody to pray for him and maybe be directed into some professional help. We don't know that. We can guess and what if all day long. We don't know. But if we have these kind of programs, we can kind of mitigate these things um, from occurring, at least many of them. All right, so that's basically it. I mean, lessons learned. These things can happen and happen fast. And we have to be prepared to respond with that. Now, where they're going to have 100% saved with a faster response? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but, you know, there's a difference between 1 and 2 and 3 versus 11. So, Let's make sure that we're trained. Before I let you go, I do want to remind you about our safety member certification course. It includes active shooter uh, response, and uh, it's a good course. It covers all kinds of, it's a very wide range from lockdowns, run, hide, fight, and what the team might do. I encourage you to check that out. Other than that, if you like this video, I'm going to ask you to kind of like us. You know, our little emblem is going to come up on either side here in a little bit click on hit click subscribe hit the notification button and let people know respond in the comments you know even if you disagree with me that's fine i i'm sure a lot of people disagree with me that's great you know tell me what your thoughts are let your friends know comment like share this thing um you know get these videos out there the whole point of making these videos is to give you guys something to think about. And we want that to be more wide-ranging than just you or just your church. We want this to spread across the nation, among all of our churches, to change the mindset that people have, to stop um, being living in denial and stop rejecting the idea that a safety ministry is somehow a bad thing. We want to change those minds. So please share, like, all that good stuff. So thank you so much for being here this week, and hey, Let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.